I think uh, this, these two verses this evening in this chapter, verse 2 and 3, uh, verses 2 and 3 will be important for all age groups and something that I think just the timing of it works out very well. I'm glad that uh, our young people are in here uh, for this portion of Scripture, something that just we are happening to be in this evening by the providence and timing of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and I think very fitting. We'll pick it up here in verse number 1. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse number 1, we talked about this verse last week, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. We talked about our reputation and how a little folly can spoil that last week, how important it is to guard our testimony and our reputation and the impact of a strong testimony and a strong reputation versus the impact of a poor one. Verse number two, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd please guide and direct my thoughts this evening. I yield this service to you, and I yield myself to you. I ask that you would do the work that only you can do. Uh, Lord, I am not perfect. I know I don't get everything right when it comes to your word. I do my best, Lord. I try to study and prepare. Uh, but Lord, I pray that if there are any uh, things that, uh, that, that in my uh, inabilities would get in the way of your work this evening, Lord, that you would just remove me from the equation and that, that, that uh, your Holy Spirit would be able to do the work that only you can do this evening. Father, please, I beg you, pour out your Spirit upon this place. Convict us, comfort us, compel us. Lord, please do the work. We pray these things in Jesus' name and amen. You can be seated. What does it mean when the Bible says a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Throughout Scripture, the, the right hand is considered the hand of authority, the hand of power, the hand of strength. We see in multiple places in the Word of God that God has set uh, His Son upon His right hand. We see uh, that... that um, this is a position of authority and that it's a position of power at the Father's right hand. It's a position of honor. Uh, the Bible also says in, in Matthew chapter number 20, uh, 25, excuse me, that the saved and the wicked will be divided on the right hand and on the left. The Bible says, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So the right hand is a sign of honor. It is a sign of authority. It is a sign of power. It is a, a, a symbol of position. It is a, a symbol of strength. Now, when the Bible says that a wise man's heart is at his right hand, what we believe is being said here is that the man who controls his heart and that keeps and pays attention to his heart is the wise man, but a wise man who doesn't pay attention to it and doesn't keep control over it is a foolish man. Because if you have your heart in your right hand, it is, your, it is in the position of strength. It is in the position of control. It is in that place where you have control over it. Now the Bible says that a wise man does that with his heart, but a fool's heart is at his 
left. Now, the heart being referred to as the seat of our emotions, the seat of our will, the seat of our intellect, the heart is the inner part of man. That is the inner part of us that none of us can see, but it is the part of us that thinks, the part of us that feels. Uh, often the Bible refers to our inner man as our heart. It uses that to describe the inner person that each and every one of us have. Now, what God is saying, I believe, in these passages is that our heart needs to, our inner man needs to be under control. That we need to manage it. That it needs to be in a place where we know what is going on with our heart and we are in control of our heart. Often also in the Bible, the, the, the Lord describes our heart in good and bad ways. God explains that we're supposed to love Him with all of our heart. We've been on that, not by purpose, uh, but we've been on that on Sunday mornings for the last couple of weeks, that we are supposed to love Him with all of our heart. It talks about the heart in many ways in a positive fashion, but there are also many passages where when it is in reference to our desires and our feelings, the heart is almost always referred to negatively. The fleshly part of man is often referred to as man's heart. We think of passages like Jeremiah 17, 9, where the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. God is literally saying that your inner person can deceive you and that it, it is desperately wicked. Um, in Genesis chapter number 6, the Bible says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, what? Continually. That's a very negative light when it comes to our heart. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 9, the Bible says, This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Just a chapter before this, Solomon says that the heart of man is full of evil. That it's full of madness while they live. So, this idea that the world has sold us, that you're supposed to follow your heart, is often very contrary to the Word of God. Amen. What they're saying is follow your feelings, follow what feels good, follow what you like. And God says the man that does that is a man of folly. He that trusteth in his own heart, Proverbs 28, 26, is a fool. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Did you catch that? Proverbs 22 and verse number 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Right? Now the rod of correction is not, is not uh, abuse. It's not beating your children. It's not hitting them on the back. It's not hitting them in the face. It's not hitting them on the legs. The rod of correction was always intended to be used on the gluteus maximus of a child. You know, we, 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 we make a joke about this sometimes, but why in the world do you suppose God would design that part of our body with so many nerve endings? Why do you need so many nerve endings on? I mean, you understand why you need them on your fingertips. 
You know, you understand why you need a lot of nerve endings in your face, but why there? Well, I mean, I think there's one really obvious reason that we could all assume. The Bible says that the rod of correction will drive foolishness out of the heart of a child because it, it literally says that it is bound into the heart of a child. Matter of fact, look, look, turn your Bibles over there and look at Proverbs chapter number 22. Look at Proverbs chapter 22 and look at verse number 15. Now, I know you young people don't like to hear this about yourselves, but this is what the Bible says is in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Do you see that? It's bound in the heart of a child. This is the lunacy, or this is why it's lunacy, I should say, for people to say that their kids get to decide about so many things in their homes. Well, whatever my child wants, whatever little John, whatever, whatever little Fauntleroy wants. This is why, this is why it's lunacy for us to be for us to be telling kids that they can be whatever their heart desires. If you come into my class and tell me that you want to be a cat today, you can be a cat. We're going to let our kids decide what they are. No, no. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. It's literally bound up in there. It's stuck in there. Foolishness is. And it has to be driven out by correction and by the rod of correction. Now, I believe that's figurative and literal. You can apply the rod of correction by teaching your children through knowledge. You can also apply the rod of correction literally when they continue to remain foolish against your uh, wishes. We, we find ourselves in a, in, a, in a day and age. People used to say that. all. My, 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 I'd hear my dad say that when he was preaching. He'd say, uh, we live in a day and age. And I did, I never, I, when I was younger, I never knew what day and was. Day and age, and then, then if, you, if you're not real careful how you say it, you know, it can almost sound like a cuss word. So he'd say that sometimes, and I'd sit there and think, what is day and age? And, and so now I find myself, when I use that term, like specifically focusing on saying day and age. Something that happened when I was a child. But we, we, have, we have an entire society right now that's telling our kids that if they feel like they're gay, that that's... That's for them to decide, right? You, you, you suppose Satan knows a little something about this, which is why he's got the children's, children's <laughs> plural, uh, why he's got the children making the decisions on these things instead of allowing them to be guided by their parents? Foolishness, stupidity, wickedness, vile things that are coming out of our school system and out of our politicians, absolutely demonic kind of stuff that's happening. To say that our children know better than we do, or that our children have enough wisdom to make those kind of decisions, y'all, that is hogwash. Amen. Foolishness is bound in their heart, and it literally has to be disciplined out of them. Now, I know you kids don't like the idea of discipline all of the time, but the reality is that in many cases, children feel more secure in their home when there is structure and discipline. Nobody likes to be spanked. I still get afraid sometimes of, of spankings, and I'm 41 years old. I haven't had one since I was like 11. I don't know how old I was when I got my last one, but 30 years later, I'm still afraid of spankings. But I got plenty of them when I was growing up and deserved them. And there were some times I got spankings that, you know, I didn't deserve. It didn't happen often, but 
you know, I suppose those just made up for all the times that I didn't get caught. I still remember, I still remember once. I, I, I don't have time for stories, but I still remember once. You talk about foolish. My, my, my oldest sister, Autumn and I, we fought like cats and dogs when we were younger. It was horrible. And it was always her fault. And I just, you know, she's finally repented of those things, and we get along now. But... Um, she got in trouble once, and we, Dad was traveling evangelism, and we were uh, living it out of the, out of the trailer. And, and, and uh, on that trip, we I don't remember what state we were in or what church, but Autumn got in trouble. And I don't remember over what. I don't remember over what. But Mom said, "Autumn, you are in trouble. Go to your room." Well, her room was the living room, because when we lived in the in the trailer, the the living room bed pulled out, and she and Hannah slept on the pull-out bed in the living room of that trailer, and then I slept on the kitchen table. Seriously. Uh, the kitchen table would, would like, dissemble. You'd take, it had this leg on it, that, this one supporting leg that, uh, that, that uh, uh, would sit underneath it and support it, and there were benches on either side of it. And you'd take the leg out and lay that table down flat on the bench, and then uh, there was just a little bit of cushion there that I would sleep on. I slept on the kitchen table. And... And, but Autumn got in trouble, and I remember Mom saying, go to your room, and then she went up to her room, which was um, to the other side of the trailer, uh, which my parents always did, and I, I, I teach that regularly. Before you discipline your children, you need a moment of separation. I think you ought to send them to their room or wherever it is that they are going to go, your room for discipline or wherever it may be, and then I, I don't always think it's wise to follow them in while you're still hot. I think the best thing to do is to go let them sit and think about what they have done, and the best thing for you to do is to go sit and think about what is the correct course of action. There were times that my parents would come in the room and there was no, there was no spanking. It was a talking to. There were times they came in with the paddle, and the tears began the moment you heard mom going to the place where the paddle was. You know, you're listening for the footsteps. You know where that is, right? But Autumn got in trouble. She said, go to your room, and Autumn, Autumn grabbed the paddle and hit it. And I saw her do it. And I really wanted her to get what was coming. So I, I saw her hide the paddle, and Mom sends me out of the trailer. She says, Joshua, you go outside. So I went outside and played. But what I really did was I stood just outside the trailer listening to Autumn scream that she didn't want a spanking. And then I heard Mom starting to say, Autumn, where is the paddle? I can't find the paddle. Did you hide the paddle? And I go over to a window where the, the living room is, and I kind of poke my head around the corner, and I go like this. She had put it up in a cabinet up above the couch, and I'm pointing at it like this, right? And my mom says, son, you get away from that window, or you're going to get a spanking too. And she was mad, and I was scared. But Autumn did, did get her discipline, and I did not, and it was a good day. So anyway, um, so <laughs> we, we have this foolishness that is bound in our hearts as children. It has to be driven out. It's buried in that heart, isn't it? And the Bible says that often when it refers to our hearts, that our, our hearts are referred to in, in reference to our flesh. Um, or in connection with our flesh. The, the, the Lord said, 
in the book of Matthew and in other places that uh, out of our heart come all of these different evil works. Out of our heart flow these evil things. We understand that the heart can often be the seat of our flesh and of our fleshly choices and decisions. But then the Bible says that the Lord works in us through our mind and through our conscience. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is spoken of and His work in our lives, it is often referred to in a way where God speaks to how God works in our minds and in our conscience and in our thoughts. Now, this is an important uh, separation to make. We need to understand that our feelings are often uh, what guide our heart, and our feelings are often connected with our flesh. But the mind and the conscience are often connected with the Holy Spirit. Turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter number 9. Let's look at Romans chapter number 9. I want to look at a few of these passages, and then we need to bring this down to the crux of the application here. Romans chapter number 9. In Romans chapter 9, the Bible says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the what? In the Holy Ghost. In Romans chapter number 2, verse number 15, the Bible says that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. It talks about how their thoughts and their conscience work along with the laws that are written upon their heart. You see, God writes upon our heart certain laws of what is right and what is wrong. You don't have to tell somebody that murder is wrong. They know that without being told that. That's a law that is written in their heart. You don't have to tell somebody that stealing is wrong. That, that, they already know that. That doesn't, doesn't even have to be taught to them. That's a law that is written on their heart. God writes certain laws on our hearts, and then He uses our conscience to bear witness with the laws that are written on our hearts to teach us through our conscience and through our thoughts what is right and what is wrong. Is everybody okay? Let's look at... Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. We all know this passage, but let's look at it. Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 2. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So God proves His will to us through the transformation of our lives, through our thoughts, through our mind. Do you see that? Uh, let's look at a couple other, and I need, I need to hasten. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. I want, I want you to see this because we need to understand the difference between our heart and our mind the way that God refers to it in Scripture. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be what? Renewed in the spirit of your what? And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So there is a renewing in the spirit of our mind that works in direct opposition to our flesh, right? And then let's look at this one. Um, I've got a bunch more, but I want to look at one more. Let's, let's go to... 
Colossians chapter uh, 1 or 3, either one. We could read both of them. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, and let's look at verse number 10. The Bible says, and have put on the new man. What is that putting on of the new man? That is that moment of salvation when God redeems us and changes us. A song was sung about that on Sunday night. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in what? Knowledge after the image of him that created him. Do you see that? So this talks about our sanctification, that the renewing of our that the renewing of our inner man takes place by the knowledge that is given to us that forms us into the image of Christ. He wants to renew our mind through the Word of God and make us into His image. This is a process. I believe that sanctification is a process. It takes time. The Bible clearly declares to us that all of us are wicked even after we get saved because even Paul himself says, O wretched man that I not was, but presently am. Right? So there is this war going on between our flesh and our spirit. Now, when we stand before God, we will be completely changed in every way, but our salvation is immediately, at the moment that we get saved, our salvation is complete in Him. For we are complete in Him, is in the Bible. But what is being referred to there in the book of Galatians chapter number 2, if I remember correctly, what is being referred to there is that when the Bible says we are complete in Him, it's not saying that we are sinless when we get saved. It is saying that our salvation is complete in Him. That there is nothing that we can add to our salvation, that there is nothing that we can do for our salvation, that our salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and that our complete salvation and eternity is in Him and Him alone. But at the same time, Paul still says, O wretched man that I am. Right? So there is still a sin nature that is a part of our nature. Now, the difference is that as a Christian, you are released, the Bible says in the book of Romans, I think it is, you are released by the power of the Holy Spirit from the bondage of that sin. Are you with me? Before you get saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You are literally in bondage to your sin and your sinful desires. They control you. But when you get saved, your spirit is made alive. It is renewed immediately. It is regenerated. By the, by the power of the Spirit of God. Is everybody okay? And at that moment, you are no longer in bondage to your sin. You are crucified with Christ, which means that you no longer are a slave to your sin and your sinful desires. If you sin, it's because you sin by choice, but it is not because you were enslaved to it. So many times we want to say that I was enslaved to my sin, I couldn't help myself. That is not true. When you get saved, you are no longer enslaved to your sin nature. You are released from that by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And one of these days when we have a glorified body, we will no longer have a sin nature. And that wretched man that we are will fall off with this old flesh and I'll never have to fight against that again. And boy, do I look forward to that day. Now the Christian knows the state of his heart, right? Now I'm trying to finish. I don't think I'll be too much longer. It's always dangerous when the preacher says that. The Christian knows the state of his heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, let's go back to the book of Ecclesiastes and let's look at it again. Chapter number 10.
A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. I believe what God is, is teaching us here is that a wise man knows the state of his heart and he does everything in his power to keep it under control. But a foolish man, he, he treats it flippantly and loosely. He doesn't pay attention to it. He lets his heart lead him. He lets his feelings and emotions go in whatever direction they want to go. In multiple places, y'all, I have... I'm just going to read the passages to you. You can write these down. You'll have to write them down fast. But the Bible does not tell us that we should not do anything with our heart and that our, our, our heart itself is not always negatively uh, referred to in the Scriptures. Not always. Sometimes it has a positive connotation. And the reason I bring that up is that we need to understand that God doesn't intend for us to walk around in this life literally heartless or figuratively heartless. He doesn't want Christians to be robots. He gave you emotions. Emotions are a good thing. He gave those to you. He created you that way. But our emotions can be tainted by our sinful nature just like anything else can. Our heart can be tainted by our sinful nature just like anything else can. Is everybody okay? I know some Christians in some churches that almost talk about the heart as if it is never supposed to be a part of your Christianity in the sense that they're, they're literally just mechanical. They're just robots. They're afraid to let the Holy Spirit work. They're afraid to let their emotions get involved in a service. And, y'all, we ought to worship Him with all of our heart. We ought to love Him with all of our heart. So the balance, there should be a balance here. I was going to say the balance is, but let me make this statement first. There should be a balance here. We should understand that our heart can be the seat of sinful desires and we cannot let our emotions and our feelings control us when it's leading in a contrary direction to what God's Word says is right. If God's Word says something is good, but your feelings say something is good, well then God's Word is right and our feelings are wrong. But... Because the Christian knows the state of his heart, God gives us multiple passages where he instructs us to bury his word in our hearts, to hide his word in our hearts, to use the word of God to control our hearts. Is everybody okay? Um, let's look at one, and then I'm just, just going to have to, to uh, give you the rest of the references. Let's look at Psalm chapter 37. And look at verse number 31. Psalm chapter 37, look at verse number 31. Actually, look at verse number 30 because it goes along with it. Psalm 37, look at verse number 30. The Bible says, The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his what? None of his steps shall what? So here is one of many references where God literally says, put, your, put my law in your heart so that your steps don't slide, right? In other words, don't let your feelings tell you what's right. Let my law tell your heart what's right. Right? Are you with me? But here are multiple other references where you can find that same thing, and these are not the only ones. Psalm chapter 40 and verse number 8. Psalm chapter 40 and verse number 8. Job chapter 22 and verse number 22. Job 22, 22. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1, 10 and 11. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 21. 
It's all through the book of Proverbs. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse number 7. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse number 16. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16. In case you thought it was all Old Testament, there's one from the New Testament. And of course, we all know Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I, have I hid in mine heart, that I might not what? So, the word of God is supposed to be applied to our heart's desires and feelings to tell us what is right, not our heart telling us what is right. As Christians, we shouldn't be loose with our feelings that are just flowing from our heart. We should guide it with the Word of God. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 19, God says, Guide thine heart in the way. Are you with me? Guide thine heart. Keep it in your right hand and keep it under control. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 20, number 26, he says, Give me thine heart. In Proverbs 4, verse number 23, he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Does this sound like the kind of person that allows their heart to control them or the kind of person that is supposed to control their heart? We're supposed to have our heart under control. It should be at the position of knowledge, at the position of power, at the position of strength, which is your right hand. You should know what is in your heart. You should know the state of your heart. And you should know what to do with your heart. I think this is great. Look at Psalm chapter 119. I heard a message preached on this passage long ago, verse number 69. And I don't know that it was entirely within context, but it was a good message. But I want you to see in Psalm 119, verse number 69. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my what? Whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease. But I delight in thy what? In other words, the lost and foolish person allows their heart to just get fatter and fatter and fatter and more full of itself. Allows their heart to just grow and guide them and fill more of their life. It's as fat as grease. But he says, but I delight in thy law. Your law is what guides my heart. You catch that? The wicked man allows his heart to just grow and increase in all of its own wonderful feelings. And the wise heart does the exact opposite. It allows the Word of God to be kept in their heart and to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God. So, where do we go with all of this? We need to understand that as God's people, it is not good or prudent of us to just let our lives be led by every feeling and every whim that we have. I believe that um, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, we get a little bit of a picture of what happens when a church confuses the leading of the Holy Spirit with their own feelings and desires in their own heart where there are people just standing up and saying random things and thinking, I've got a prophecy, I've got a prophecy, I've got a prophecy. And God says, this is, God is not the author of confusion. I've seen good Christian people who say, 
that they're being led by the Holy Spirit of God. Matter of fact, I you know I didn't think of all this uh, earlier this week, but I, I talked with somebody about this earlier this week that they they have uh, witnessed other people in their lives that keep telling them that God is leading them, but um, the reality is that what they say God is leading them to is in complete and utter contradiction to the Word of God. It can't be possible. Because that's not what God's truth says. But Christians often misunderstand what the moving of the Holy Spirit looks like in a, in a church service or in, in their own personal lives and get that very confused. And and, and I did a study with us on Wednesday nights about the leading of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't really go back through all of that. But remember that the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He is a, a literal person that dwells within us and works in us to form us and shape us. And He does, he does that. He does that. I've been struggling since Sunday with my, my mind. It's crazy. Um, Actually, since last Thursday or Friday, but um, he does that through through his word and through the 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 thoughts and through the conscience. Um, somebody asked me right out here. I was I was um, after service walking down the hallway, and one of our young people stopped me and asked me, um, "Preacher, you say sometimes when you're preaching something like, you know what? God doesn't want me to say that." What do you mean by that? How do you know? How does God speak to you? I said, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, the answer I gave that day is still the answer that I would give this, this evening, but I, I, I would probably add some things to it as well. God speaks to our mind. He speaks to our conscience. Sometimes we say that God speaks to our heart. And that's not necessarily wrong because the heart does mean the will, the intellect, and the emotions. So it does also refer to our mind. It's not necessarily wrong to say that God speaks to our heart. But I explained it this way. God gives discernment to a pastor that he doesn't give to others. And, and he leads a pastor of a church in ways that he doesn't lead others. I believe that you're led by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. But when it comes to decisions for the church or when it comes to uh, sermons and things of that nature, God will lead the pastor in a totally different way than He does just somebody else who's being led by the Spirit in their own personal life. Why? Because God makes the pastor the overseer of the ministry as the under-shepherd of Christ, and so He gives certain discernment, certain wisdom, and certain knowledge to His preachers. That's just what He does. And, and I can't explain that more than just to say that I have experienced it and noticed it and that it is a markable difference uh, from earlier on in my life, that God gives specific discernment uh, for specific purposes, and that he, he, gives, he gives that according to His will when He desires to do so. There will be times that I'll be sitting in the office, and the Holy Spirit will give me something that I've never thought of, but it is, it is a Bible verse that I might have read or, or, or didn't even know that I knew, that He pulls up to your mind, and it is there, and it is useful for that moment, and it applies in such a way that you walk away and go, I don't have a clue where that came from. I don't know where that came from. That wasn't me. It had nothing to do with me. You might have experienced that when you were witnessing to somebody at, at some point where, where God through His power was equipping you and giving you things that you didn't even know were actually there. The Holy Spirit works in that way, but there are times I'll be standing up here and preaching, and I mean just as clear as you're sitting there, 
I'm getting ready to say something and God knows the thoughts of my mind and He contradicts me by removing the desire to say it almost as real as you're sitting there. I know the Lord has just said to me, the, way, the same way He speaks to you uh, about a certain Scripture when it's preached and He convicts you over it, it's a very similar thing. I wouldn't say it's a feeling as much as, as, as it's a thought. It's not a voice. It's more of a removal of the desire to say that. Like, I was about to say that, and I really wanted to say it, and God's like, well, I don't really want you to say it. I'm going to remove the desire for you to say that. And I go, yeah, I don't really have the desire to say that anymore. Now, sometimes I may get that wrong. Sometimes it may just be me questioning myself, but I think most of the time I know by experience and time with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, for the most part, what those times are and when they are. But, man, I have been in some settings where some Christians think that their heart is the Holy Spirit and um, it, can, it can lead to chaos. So how, how in the world can you tell the difference between your heart and the Holy Spirit? Well, again, I, I wanted to say, and, and already I should say, uh, already did say that that God works through our thoughts, not necessarily through our feelings. Now, that being said, if the Holy Spirit is working you in you in a mighty way and He comforts your heart with some truth of the Scripture or you get, like we did on Sunday night, you get blessed by some song that is biblically accurate and it is talking about your salvation and your forgiveness and you get stirred by the truth of that, then I believe that the movement of the Holy Spirit of God can bring very powerful feelings into your life. But the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. So you have to know how to discern between the two. And here's one of the easiest ways to do it. Can we turn to the book of Galatians? And we need to really kind of be done. Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. And I want us to look at the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse number 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication. Right? God's not going to lead you by His Spirit to those things. Right? Uncleanness, lasciviousness. These are works of the flesh, not of the Spirit. Right? Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Variance, emulations, wrath, strife. Do you see this? Okay, I, I want to I key in on strife here for just a second. All right? You see this on Facebook a lot. People said, I'm being led by the Spirit of God. And if, if you've been watching and paying attention to their posts for months, they've been harping on somebody about something. And then they say something like, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me to say this. I wanted to get on here and say something real quick. And they'll, they'll make a whole, an entire video with all kinds of Scripture to support what they say the Holy Spirit is leading them to do. But the reality is they've been at strife with somebody for months and we can all see it, but they say they're being led by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a work of the flesh. If, if your desire to say something from the Word of God is being led by a desire of strife, hello? Did you catch, did you, do you catch the difference? Well, God led me to say this. Did He though? Okay. As, as a preacher, you have to be careful about this. Um, 
I have one specific message that I go back to in, in, in my past that um, years ago, not since I've been here, um, that it just eats at me. I regret it deeply. There were some, there were some fights going on in the church. Some people were criticizing my family and myself so heavily, and it had been going on for so long. I had a hard time discerning what was coming from the Spirit and what was coming from my flesh for a while. And I was trying to be led by the Spirit of God, but I didn't always maybe catch that the way that I should have. And there was one specific service where I stood up and I preached a message that was, I mean, it was well within the context of Scripture. And I prayed and begged God to lead me by His Spirit over and over and over again before I stood up that night. It was a Wednesday night. And I, I knew, I told Him, Lord, Lord, I know, I know that I am fired up and I don't want to do this in the flesh. And I got myself convinced that I needed to address that issue in the pulpit that evening. I stood up and addressed it. And... I heard a couple of people in that church that I could never get back. And when I look back on that, I, I look back on that message and I know that even if the truth that I was preaching was true from the Word of God, that what I should have done is I should have taken a step back until I did not have heavy feelings of wrath and hatred and strife and waited until my feelings were not a part of that equation. But I didn't. And whether there was a little mix of the leading of the Spirit of God and a little mix of my flesh, I, still to this day I couldn't tell you entirely, but I know my flesh was in it. Y'all, we have to be so careful about this stuff. And what some people don't know is that now, I, I, I have been so changed and altered by the Holy Spirit from... from Mistakes like that. That if I know something is going on in the church, I literally try to avoid it. Because I don't want my feelings, my wrath, my strife to just... Well, that's the Holy Spirit of God. I'll tell you God's been leading me to say something. Well, it might just be your heart. And I'm not saying I get it perfect all the time. Now, there are times that there might be something going on in the church right now, and God leads me through the course of Scripture to go ahead and address it. And if I feel like my heart is in the right place, and I'm not angry, and there's not wrath, and there's not strife, and I can honestly say my emotions are entirely detached from that situation. I'm not bitter at anybody. I'm not angry at anybody. I don't have any issues. This is just the truth of the Word of God, and I can truly preach it without any feelings towards anybody or without thinking about anybody while I'm preaching it. Then I might. But those moments are very few and very far between, and that is a fact. But sometimes people might get confused and think, well, you know, the preacher knows something, and the reality is, man, I would tell you, I, you know, 87.9% of all statistics are thought up on the spot. Um, that was a really bad attempt at a joke. But, um, but I, I really think that, man, I, I think I could say, way over 90% of the messages that I preach are just what God gave me from the Word of God during my personal time with Him, and I don't have a clue what's going on. 
And man, a preacher stands up and preaches from the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and people go, well, the preacher knows, and I know why he said such and such. And, then, <laughs> and some people just don't know how to take the movement of the Holy Spirit. That was a, a kind of a rabbit trail, but look at it in verse number 20 again. These are the works of flesh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. I mean, pe people that, you know, I'm being led of God to do this or say this. Really, are you doing it out of wrath or strife? Then it's, yeah, you better be really cautious about thinking that. Envyings, huh? Right? Well, Holy Spirit of God, I saw, I saw a guy today. I saw a guy today that's going through a divorce. Horrible divorce. Preacher. Well, I just wanted to come on here today and I feel like God is leading me to say this. Well, I know what's going on in his personal life. And everything he's saying is really about his wife. Is that the Holy Spirit? It might be. But y'all, what, what we really need to do is use the formula that God gives us in the book of Galatians for what are the works of the flesh and what are the works of the Spirit. And if you think there is any chance that that feeling that you're having is leading in the direction of any of these works of the flesh, if I were you, I'd leave that alone. Does that make sense? Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Oh, I just, I tell you what, some people feel like they're being led by the Spirit so they can be the center of attention. No, pride is a work of the flesh. <laughs> I got to be done. Um, verse number 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. Does this truly come from a place of love in your heart? Then it might be of the Spirit. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, Right? And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Did He just tell you to walk in the Spirit? He did, so He must be asking us to use this as a, as a little bit of a guide for what is of the Spirit and what is of our flesh, what is of our heart. Right? Did you catch that? Back to Ecclesiastes and we're closing up shop. Chapter 10, verse number 2. A wise man's heart is at his what? His right hand. His heart is the seat of his emotions, his will, his intellect. Right? And we keep hold of our heart. And we bury Scripture in it. And we let the Word of God guide our heart into truth. We don't let it become fat like grease on its own understandings. Right? But a fool's heart is at his left. Verse number 3, Yea, also... When he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. He knows what he ought to do, but he doesn't guide his heart. He lets his feelings guide him. So his wisdom fails him, right? You've got the Word of God. You know what's right, but instead you follow your feelings. Your wisdom failed you, right? When he walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool, right? How can we tell when somebody is foolish? Man, I've, I've got other passages on this, but you know, the Bible actually says um, that a fool is loud, 
he, why, why does everybody know that he's a fool according to verse number 3? He saith to everyone that he is a fool. Why? Because fools talk a lot. They, 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 they talk, they speak before they think. A lot of words come out. Why, why, why is a man known to be a fool? Because he talks a lot. Because his decisions bear witness to it. Because he doesn't control his spirit and he has outbursts. And according to other places in the book of Proverbs, because he is loud and always trying to make his knowledge known. Some of the wisest people that you will ever meet are quiet. We dealt with that earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, didn't we? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.3 that a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. The more people talk, the more foolish we get sometimes. So the best thing for us to do according to these two verses is keep our heart in our right hand, not in our left. The hand of weakness, but in the hand of strength where we understand what our heart is without God and that it needs to be guided by the Word of God. We keep it in the right hand, which is the hand of knowledge, the hand of recognition, the hand of strength and of power. And in verse number 3, the Bible says, If you don't, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, if you don't control your heart, you won't live with wisdom, you won't walk with wisdom, uh, you won't make decisions with wisdom. If you are controlled by your heart, your wisdom will fail you, and you'll say to everyone around you, and it will be known of you that you're a fool. So I suppose this thing about controlling our feelings and controlling our heart is pretty important, isn't it? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us with this Bible lesson this evening to understand the importance of controlling our heart. Help us please, Lord, to be careful about not just following our feelings. Lord, I pray that you'd help our young people to be cautious about just following their desires and their feelings instead of letting your word guide their heart. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want